0: Okay so this will be our 13th get together and we were able to start looking at the complete prophecies of Christ the last time we got together and that was a great blessing that ran to two and a half hours and Lord willing I want to continue looking at the complete prophecies of Christ uh, but for this morning let's begin if we may in Mark chapter 1 verses 1, 2 and 3. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. So straight away you see that Mark is very similar to John's gospel. John's gospel is very similar to the book of Genesis. And just very quickly and very briefly, John's gospel will trace Christ right back to eternity. Or if you want, the beginning of eternity. Mark's gospel is going to trace Jesus Christ right back to his divinity, like the Son of God. Matthew will trace him right back to Abraham. Luke will trace him right back to Adam. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ in time. The Son of God, the only begotten Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, plural. Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Keep your hand there and go to Malachi chapter 3. All of your new Bibles get messed up. When they look at Mark chapter 1 and from Malachi chapter 3. Look at verse 1 if you will. Behold I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom ye shall seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Even the messenger of the covenants whom ye delight in. Behold he shall come saith the Lord of hosts. So as always you got at least one application through every passage in the old testament you got prophetical revelation doctrinal revelation spiritual revelation and also historical revelation but as we know from memory i think two fifths of scripture is prophetical and therefore one more time from malachi chapter three behold jehovah is speaking i will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me now in the context you got elijah of course but the spirit that would anoint Elijah will also anoint John the Baptist. So if you will, there are two parts to John the Baptist. There are two parts to the Lord Jesus Christ, his human side, his divine side. Colon. And the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple. First coming, of course. Even the messenger of the covenants, whom ye delight in. Well, some did delight in it. Simeon would be one of them. Anna was another. But most of the Jews... Alive during the time of the Lord's first arrival, didn't believe on him, didn't even believe in the words of Scripture. That's what uh, John chapter 5 is all about. Whom ye delight in, behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts. Look at verse 2. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refinest fire, and like fullest soap, and he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi. Now, of course, for the New Testament, like the book of Revelation specifically, chapter 11 is it, the third temple goes up. And some have suggested that is the same measurements, dimensions, found over in Ezekiel. But, of course, the measurements are slightly different. But it does appear to me that during the tribulation, the Levites are going to be reassembled. We've got 144,000 Jewish evangelists. So once again, there are at least two applications to this. There's also a millennial application to this because we know during the millennial reign of Christ, animal sacrifices are going to be reinitiated for reconciliation. We break bread every Sunday in remembrance of what Christ did for us. And during the millennial reign of Christ, it's going to be the same again. Purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. We are told from the book of Romans to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. But here, you've got literal sons of Levi that are going to reappear on the face of the earth before the second advent. But go back to the first century. Always think about what the first century Jews would have made when they first read this. A lot of people read the book of James, for example, and they say it has no reference to us today. They say it's all for tribulation Jews. That is incorrect. James wrote his epistle to saved Jews during the first century. Hebrews was written to saved Hebrews. Always think about the first crowd of people that would read such a piece of material. And then try and look at it prophetically. One more time. Behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. Before me. Before me. God is speaking here. He's speaking about himself. He's speaking about John the Baptist coming to prepare the way before me. And also in uh, context, Elijah from chapter 4, verse 5. And 6, And the Lord, whom ye seek, shall suddenly come to his temple, and into the temple he went the first time around, preached many times in and around the temple, even the messenger of the covenant in the context, the old covenant, all the prophets preached about the coming of the Messiah, whom ye delight in, or well, some did, but most did not. Behold, he shall come, saith the Lord of hosts, Jehovah of hosts, Jehovah of armies, but who may abide the day of his coming? Over in Revelation, it says, Every eye will see him. There'll be mourning and wailing. Picture people in hell. And he shall stand when he appeareth. Who's ready for his arrival? For he is like a refinest fire and like fullest soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, like polishing the silver and gold in one's house, if you will. And he shall purify, he shall cleanse the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness a lot of material there, go to Isaiah chapter 40 please this is where the modern day uh, scholars, so called, get all messed up with Mark chapter 1 but you've got two parts to Mark chapter 1 you were told prophets, plural, not prophets, singular in fact the new bibles say prophets the new bibles when it hits Mark chapter 1 they translate it to say this as it is written in the prophets as it is written in the prophets, or as the prophet would say Behold, and so forth, but the King James says, as it is written in the prophets, Mark is quoting two Old Testament prophets and joining them together. Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40, look at verse three, if you will. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That's John the Baptist, of course, and sometimes we feel like voices in the wilderness, but he says, prepare, make straight a desert, A highway for our God. Or in the UK we refer to a highway as a motorway. But do you understand what he's saying? In other words, get your house naughty, he's coming. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The spirits of the Lord hath spoken it. Could be the Holy Ghost also in reference here. But as always you've got the glory of the Lord which Isaiah would see and John picks us up from John chapter 12 and he makes the case that what Isaiah saw in essence was Jesus Christ on the throne, second member of the Trinity of course. But you can't miss it, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness verse 3 and one of the things he would say on top of repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He would also say this, how you are to prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God, in a sense a call to repentance in a sense get ready for his soon arrival every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain this is also picturing the new heaven and the new earth found over in the book of peter second peter chapter three and the glory of the lord shall be revealed and all flesh now for the first coming you had jews and gentiles that got glimpses of the lord jesus christ but for the most part they were jews but for the second advent book of revelation chapter one it says how all flesh will see him every eye will see him those that pierced him are going to see him all flesh shall see it together over in the gospels it says as the lightning flashes from one one side of heaven to the other even so will we see the sun the the sign of the son of man coming in the clouds in other words it's going to be a simultaneous event all flesh shall see it together it could be in the west it could be in the east it could be in south america it could be in australasia For the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Go to Mark chapter 15. So when the Lord speaks something, when he declares something will take place, it will take place. It may not take place in our lifetime, but it will take place. When it comes to time and the Lord, they don't go together. The Lord is not restrained by time. But of course we are. Uh, Mark chapter 15. Mark uh, chapter 15. Look at verse twenty. For, if you will, when they had crucified him, they parted his garments, cast lots upon them, what every man should take. One of the most repulsive things in the word of God is the crucifixion, the brutal crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was one thing to strangle someone, it was one thing to stone someone, it was one thing to burn someone. But to put someone up on a cross, naked, for six hours, for friends and foes to behold, is something which we don't really understand we say this uh, if you're not careful he's going to crucify you I hate that term but they use that a lot or she crucified me but look at it again but when they had crucified him they parted his garments casting lots upon them what every man should take it's like a gambling game they're like throwing dice and it was the third hour and they crucified him now for memory Mark is going to go with the Roman timing which is around 3 between I think 12 to 3 o'clock in the afternoon John goes with the Roman timing and Matthew goes with the Jewish timing. But either way, he goes to the cross at 9 a.m. He dies at 3 p.m. Six hour is 3 p.m. So the third hour is about midday, thereabouts. And it was the third hour and they crucified him. And the superscription of his accusation was written over the King of the Jews. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Put the three Gospels together. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptics. I think John does this as well. And it's, this is Jesus. This is Jesus Christ. This is Christ, the King of the Jews. This book is like a, a jigsaw. You have to put all the parts together to get a complete picture. The superscription, the writing of his accusation was written over the King of the Jews, mocking him, of course. Never is Jesus Christ referred to as the King of the Church, never does paul say jesus christ was or is the son of man he also refers to jesus christ as the son of god saviour of the church so in essence you've got son of man israel son of god the church john's gospel has son of god lamb of god john's gospel and also revelation says son of man son of god lamb of god only john does that but every time son of man appears in matthew mark and also luke it's in reference to israel Kingdom of Heaven, Son of God, Kingdom of God. Kingdom of God, Son of God, Body of Christ. Son of Man, Kingdom of Heaven, Israel. The Jews get the new earth, we get new Jerusalem. And with him they crucified two thieves, verse 27. The one on his right hand and the other on the left. You could suggest it's a picture of the Trinity, but let's not go beyond the text. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith. And he was numbered with the transgressors. He was identified with wicked people and the biggest problem we have in today's world is to get people to see themselves as sinners you may get the occasional drunk saying i'm a bad man i can't stop drinking but he won't go beyond that in fact this goes back to conversation that took place yesterday outside mcdonald's with some of the group and a local gentleman a professing christian was intoxicated and was pretty much may i say boasting or rejoicing or I don't know, maybe not rejoicing, but was proud of his sin, proud of his lifestyle I wasn't around when this took place go to Isaiah 53 please and basically he was saying that he drinks, he smokes, and does this and does that and I thought even if you did all those things you wouldn't proclaim it in public I mean what you do in private is one thing but you wouldn't broadcast it in public, you know these people many times like to broadcast in public what they do in private I don't believe that I think it was... Uh, Paisley, who once said, if you sin in public, you should repent in public. But if you sin in private, you should repent in private. I like that. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Look at verse 3, please. He is despised and rejected of men. Nothing much has changed. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Only once would he rejoice. One part of the Gospels, it says how he was happy or joyful that his father had hidden the truth from the world and only revealed the truth to babes, like five of us sitting around this room this morning. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him, children of Israel. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. So this is obviously in reference to the Jews, Jehovah's people, but in the context, the world in general. In fact, yesterday was St. Patrick's Day, and I was thinking about this as we were standing on the streets of Nottingham yesterday. And I would suggest that probably 98% of those that we saw yesterday, in fact, I said to some of the group, I thought I was in Southern Ireland yesterday. All these Brits dressing up in almost Halloween outfits. It was rather ridiculous to see. But I thought this. I would suggest probably 98% have no idea who St. Patrick was. He's not a saint. He was just Patrick of Scotland who went to Ireland, was pre-millennial, was a street preacher, was almost certainly born again, was of the same belief that we are, And yet these people walking around town dressing like morons, quite honestly, women half-dressed and guys half cut. A crude term, but they simply means they were drunk, intoxicated, have no idea who Patrick was and yet this is very typical of people today. But look at it again. He is despised, present tense, and rejected of men. Man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He is associated with grief. He is associated with sorrow. We took an awful phone call yesterday. One of our brothers lost his father yesterday. It wasn't something we were hoping to hear we knew it was coming but when it came it was pretty horrible to hear and he was in grief yesterday this brother in question very emotional as you would expect his father made a good old age got saved we believe at the last minute which is the most important thing but yesterday the lord was able to relate to this brother he was able to show this brother comfort and sorrow or comfort and relief comfort and a love and support during his grief and emotional, emotional uh, need Going back to 2 Corinthians, how we are to show those who are struggling, care and support. That's why we go through trials and tribulations. So we can relate to others who are also going through trials and tribulations. Colon, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him, like Adam and Eve. Adam, where art thou? The woman that you gave me, beguiled me. Eve, where are you? The serpent, beguiled me. We're still hiding our faces from him now. Even after we are saved, we hide our faces from him. But thankfully, he didn't hide his face from us. He was despised past tense and we esteemed him not the way this is laid out the way the tenses are laid out you've got present tense you've got past tense and even future tenses this is a strange part of scripture this was written 700 years before christ came and died and yet the way isaiah puts this down the way it's translated you've got past uh, past tenses you've got present tenses future tenses it's incredible look at verse four surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. This is substitutionary atonement. There's no other term to really describe what we are reading this morning. We are the only religion, I use that in a careful sense religion, lowercase r, but we are the only religion on the face of the earth that has a saviour. All of the others don't have a saviour. An old Saint Patrick is nobody's saviour, and all these people coming together, getting drunk and intoxicated, and partying into the early hours of the morning. I've got no idea that Patrick's in heaven today and yet this crowd aren't going to go to heaven when they die it wasn't Catholic either it's just ridiculous it's, it's, it's tragic you've got so many people just going around having a good time or so they believe following someone who they think would be on the same page as them and he'd be horrified he'd be horrified to see all these people intoxicated in green hats half cuts as we say women half dressed it's just a mess it's like people have prayed to Mary if she could see it she'd be just, she'd be just devastated look at verse 5 but he was wounded for our transgressions past tense he was bruised for our iniquities, past tense. It hasn't happened yet. But to the mind of Isaiah, it has happened. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, not will be upon him, was upon him. And with his stripes, we are healed. We are healed like right now, or we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. This is wonderful. And the Lord, the Father, hath laid on him, the Son, the iniquity of us all, all of our past, present, and future sins. And I'll say it one more time, you can't uh, improve on this, you can't uh, go beyond this. Jump down to verse 9 please. And he made his grave with the wicked, going back to the transgressors, two thieves, Christ in the middle, made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. So of course Joseph of Arimathea would step forward and say, give him my tomb, a very wealthy man, a very interesting man. We believe that he perhaps came to the UK, we can't prove it of course, but we believe it by tradition, and we believe that Nicodemus came to Britain as well, but we can't prove it, but it's tradition. And he made his grave with the wicked, he died with two wicked people, and with the rich in his death, Arimathea, because he had done no violence, unlike Muhammad, neither was any deceit, any guile in his mouth. He was spotless, he was faultless, he was flawless. And it's always wonderful when we speak about Christ and how we can really elevate him up and really preach him, really lord him. Uh, We can't do that with any other people. I mean, I couldn't do that with you. You couldn't do it with me, but we can do it with him. And we can do it all day long. We can't really do it with Paul, although we can to some extent, but uh, Paul had his flaws. Paul was a sinful man. He would say he was the chief of sinners in the present tense. Simon Peter would cuss and curse and blaspheme He would not like to think that a Christian could cuss and curse and blaspheme, but he did. And all the other apostles, like James, the Lord's half-brother, was very legalistic. On one occasion he would say to Paul, uh, take a vow, go off into the temple, uh, just show the Jews you still are a Jew, sacrifice to Jehovah, just to keep the Jews on side, and old Paul shaved his head, went into the temple, took a vow, and as one commentator said, went back under the law possibly but he would say i was all things to all men that i might win some to christ look at verse 10 yet it pleased the lord to bruise him pleased the father to bruise him the son he had put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin he shall see his seed that's us of course in a spiritual sense he shall prolong his days unto the end of time and the pleasure of the lord shall prosper in his hand this is a very difficult subject to really drill into the atonement Basically, Jesus Christ was born to die. We all understand that, of course. From his conception to crucifixion, he came to die. But if that wasn't enough, he becomes a sin offering for us. We hit some rather murky waters now. We talk about what happened to Christ when he died. Let's read it again, verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. This goes back to Genesis chapter 3. I put uh, enmity between your seed and her seed concerning the serpents and the woman. And also from... uh, john 13 speaks about the heel bruising the head and paul picks this up also from the book of romans please the lord to bruise him he hath put him to grief that's a powerful word grief when thou shalt make a soul an offering for sin not just a physical death but a spiritual death here he shall see his seed this goes back to the believing jews that were believers and also the church which would come as a result of the jews preaching to the uh, preaching the gospel to the gentiles because salvation is of the Jews. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. So basically, as I understand it, what you've got here is the Lord Jesus Christ offering himself as a sacrifice for sins, dying a cursed death, Galatians chapter 3. His body goes into the tomb for three days and three nights, and I mean three days and three nights. He dies, he stays in the ground, but his soul goes into the lower parts of the earth. Ephesians chapter 4, and uh, Colossians chapter three for memory. Peter tells you he went, he goes into hell, and also Paul picks us up in Colossians, makes a show over principalities and powers. Basically says, I've conquered death. What you guys did wrong back in antiquity, I've been able to put right. What you guys caused Adam to get wrong, I have put right. He goes into the ground, and he's there for three days and three nights. Now you've got the resurrection, you've got the ascension. He goes into the ground, he comes up. He comes from heaven back to earth at least two times, according to John's Gospel. But his soul is made an offering for sin. Now, some people say this, and even John Calvin alluded to this, that Jesus Christ became a sinner. I don't go for that, but he believed that. Benny Hinn believes this. Joyce Mayer believes this. Kenneth Copeland believes this. A lot of the crazy charismatics believe that Christ became a sinner. And they go beyond that. They say that the devil had a hold on him, and the devil was torturing him in hell. They believe this i can't find that i don't believe that i don't even find it alluded to but they hold to that and as a result of satan holding christ in hell if he went into hell but they go beyond that as a result of the devil holding him and torturing him christ had to become the first born again man this is a very popular belief but the word of god doesn't say that Prolong his days and the pleasure of the lord shall prosper in his hands so i'm going to hold it there for now I'll Just say this very briefly that yes he dies now, place he shed his blood for our sins and if we put our faith in that we are saved and kept saved to suggest his soul was somehow destroyed in hell to suggest he was forced to repent to suggest he became the first born again man is problematic it's heretical it's blasphemy quite simply but yes he would offer his soul as an offering for sin very clearly found over in verse 10 but to go beyond that to suggest he had to be tortured and born again to be the first saved man is a joke. It also undermines his atonement. In fact, I need to read two verses and I will close just to stay in context with this. Verse 11, please. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. But he shall bear their iniquities. That's pretty clear. Nearly every single time a verse will explain another verse. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great. Never mind Alexander the Great or... Herod the Great, or Caesar the Greats, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, the first of the last, the last of first, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. Father into thy hands I commend my spirit. And he was numbered with the transgressors, two thieves, one got saved, the other did not. And he bare he carried the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. He would intercede for the two on the on the on the uh, on the cross, he would say, tomorrow you'll be with me in paradise, <coughs> one got saved, one did not, which shows that you can have a deathbed conversion, and our dear brother, who lost his father yesterdays, yesterday, his father had a deathbed conversion, it does happen, but it's pretty rare, most people will die as they lived, lost, but thankfully, this brother's father got saved at the age of 88, somebody was interceding for him, and that someone, of course, is a saviour, and if anybody in Nottingham this week will turn to the saviour, he will intercede for them, and get them saved. And also the Holy Ghost will intercede for such a person to grow them, to give them assurance that they are saved. But a sin offering, my servant, the faithful servant, going back to the Son of Man, Son of God, which we may look at tomorrow, how the Son of Man was in submission to his Father. The Son of God is God's gift to the world. Going back to the Sonship of Christ, which is another difficult subject to really get into. But the soul, the spirit, the body of Christ died. He's a body, he's a soul, he's a spirit. He's divine, he's human. You can't really separate them and yet sometimes you attempt to do so based on son of God being for the church, son of man for Israel. Both the same person but two terms. I have an old nature, I have a new nature. I'm still one person but there's two parts to me. His soul dies, his body dies, his spirit goes back to be with the Lord. If we were to die today in a physical sense like our brother died yesterday, 88 years of age, he goes straight to be with the Lord, absent from the body, present with the Lord his soul goes to be with almighty God his spirit was regenerated when he first got saved but his body goes into the ground and in his case waiting for the rapture and when the rapture comes he gets a new body and for those that were saved before Christ they are in the ground waiting for the resurrection which takes place over in Revelation chapter 20 whereas the rapture takes place 1st Thessalonians chapter 4. so let's continue looking at the complete prophecies of Christ and this will be volume 2 And for this morning, if we may, let's begin in Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, and this isn't technically a prophecy per se, but I wanted to read it nonetheless. Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, look at verse 21 please. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Jesus, of course, means Jehovah saves and you've got the angel gabriel appearing to mary and also zachariah the angel of the lord would appear to joseph which of course is the holy ghost and here after eight days have been accomplished it's time to circumcise the child a jewish custom which continues to this day also found in islamic circles and customs of course they have copied it from the old testament his name was called jesus which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Keep your hand there and go to Leviticus chapter 1. From Matthew chapter 2, the wise men travelled land and sea to pay respect to the newborn king. And of course they would bring gold, frankincense and myrrh. And it's been asked over the years what became of the gold, the frankincense and the myrrh. Look at verse 14 from Leviticus chapter 1. And if the burnt sacrifice for his offering to the Lord be of fowls, then he shall bring his offering of doves or of young pigeons. So Mary and Joseph were poor. I think we can probably say that for some certainty. The gifts from the Magi would have been dedicated to the Lord up in the temple. I'm pretty sure of that. The temple being in Jerusalem. And of course Jerusalem means house of peace. And here bring an offering of turtledoves or two young pigeons as an offering, as a sacrifice to the Lord. Because let's be quite honest, sin hasn't gone away. And although it's great to... Give thanks to the birth of a newborn child. The child is still born in sin. Going back to Adam's sin. And therefore an offering of some kinds. Has to be given to the Lord. To cover the sin. Look at verse 15. And the priest shall bring it unto the altar. And wring off his head. And burn it on the altar. And the blood thereof shall be wrung out. At the side of the altar. He shall pluck away his crop with his feathers. And cast it beside the altar on the east part. By the place of the ashes. He shall cleave it with the wings thereof but shall not divide it asunder, and the priest shall burn it upon the altar, upon the wood that is upon the fire. It is a burnt sacrifice, an offering made by fire of a sweet savour unto the Lord. Go back to Luke chapter 2. So Jesus Christ has been born, eight days have gone, it's time to circumcise the newborn boy, a custom like I say which is continued to this day. A birth of a child still has a connotation of sin to some extent in the church of rome and the church of england they will christen a newborn babe which they believe starts the salvation process of course that's not true but they believe it nonetheless for the old Testament, an offering was essential to cover the sin the sin of conception the sin of birth of course for the new testament for the gospel of the grace of god we don't have to offer anything up to the lord we have our sins covered thanks to the precious blood of the lord jesus christ But the gifts given to Joseph and Mary, like I say, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, were given, I think, probably to the priests in Jerusalem, which shows, again, how great and how good God is. Uh, Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 34, if you will. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. A lot of mystics over the years have enjoyed reading this verse to suggest that Mary has a closer bond to the Lord Jesus Christ than the scripture would allow us to envisage. And of course there was a connection, nobody would deny that. But verse 34 is also of great interest to me. How this child, this child... Is set for the fall, 70 AD, and rising again of many in Israel, 1948, to go back into the land, but also is set for the fall, the rejection of the Messiah, and the rising again from the dead, those that will believe on the Messiah, of many in Israel. This is a Jewish book. We have to remind ourselves this is a Jewish book written by Jews to the Jews. We get a look in because the Jews, for the most part, would reject the Messiah, their Messiah. He's not our Messiah as such. He's our Savior. But they would reject him. And as a result of rejecting him, we are grafted in semicolon. And for a sign, the Jews are entitled to a sign. Their nation began with signs back in Exodus chapter 4. Signs and miracles, wonders, which shall be spoken against. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. That's a Jewish idiom. It's a figure of speech. We call this figurative language. There was no literal sword pushed into the soul of Mary. Had that taken place, you would have died, of course. That the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Someone to say this? Yes, it's true that Mary and Jesus had a connection. Obviously, however you want to approach this, whether you are a Catholic or a Christian, Mary was the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity. She carried him from conception, and she was there at his crucifixion. There was a connection. Nobody should ever deny that. And there may have been times throughout the Lord's difficult life and painful journey when she wasn't always with him physically, but she was with him spiritually, and she would have seen and heard what he was up against and what he was experiencing. She would have had people in the village, probably in Nazareth or Bethlehem, but more specifically Nazareth, continuing to question his birth, shall we say? Is he really the son of God? Is he really God's only begotten son? Or was he just a madman? We know this man. We know his brothers and sisters. We know his father, so, so forth. That's an ongoing stigma. Never went away for her, of course. If you think of the children of Noah, they had a very difficult upbringing. They were the only kids in the entire world that had good godly parents. We think it's bad today, but imagine being children of Noah and his wife, the only decent parents on the face of the entire world, face of the whole earth, and all of your friends are all wicked and godless and depraved, and your friends' parents are just as deplorable as their own kids and it's just a wicked world inside out and yet your parents are the only ones that have anything really to do or to offer a lost world so it's difficult for the children of Noah I believe and it was also difficult for the children of Mary and Joseph they had many children boys and girls Jesus Christ of course is the firstborn that's made very clear from Mark excuse me Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel you were told from Isaiah chapter 7 how Christ will come via a a virgin of course. Go to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. Look at verse 6 if you will. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. All flesh shall see the salvation of God. In the context this is a double application. You've got the first coming obviously. The magis will arrive in town. Matthew chapter 2. They go all over Jerusalem saying where is he that is born? King of the Jews. They caused quite a commotion and of course Herod is on the throne. This is Herod the Great, a half Jew, half Gentile, hated by Jewry, probably hated by the Romans as well, but he was their puppet leader. He's got his minions standing all around him. You've got Gentiles present. You've got his priests also on hand, Jewish apostates. So you see, first and foremost, this has reference to the first coming, how all flesh, Jew and Gentile, shall see, shall see the salvation of God John chapter 3 says you have to be born again in order to see, to see the kingdom of God. Go to Psalm 98. Most of the people that got saved in the four Gospels were Jews. Probably 95% were Jews. You have the occasional Gentile that was healed and was blessed by believing on the Jewish Messiah. But for the most part, he came for the lost sheep of Israel. Uh, Psalm 98 the Jews hear the gospel preached from Acts chapter 7. They reject the gospel from Acts chapter 7. And the apostles then switch to the Gentiles. Psalm 98. Psalm 98. Look at verse 1 if you will. O sing unto the Lord a new song. For he hath done marvellous things. His right hand and his holy arm hath gotten him the victory. It's All of the Lord. The Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he openly showed in the sights of the heathen. Now this, of course, fits into the church age. Most of the people that are saved today are Gentiles. He hath remembered his mercy and his truth toward the house of Israel. Salvation is of the Jews. And all the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. Certainly in reference to the tribulation from the book of Revelation, which we spoke about yesterday morning, how every eye shall see him. And there'll be a lot of mourning and weeping. Not all people are going to be jumping up and down rejoicing at his soon return. All the ends of the earth have seen, past tense, the salvation of our God. Going back to Matthew chapter 5, how he makes the sun to rise on the just and goes down on the unjust. How he feeds everyone and everything. That's a love of some kind, but that's a limited love. Go to Isaiah 52, please. Isaiah 52. One of the reasons why the Bible was written would be to, first of all, affirm that God is God. If God wants to reveal himself to mankind, how would he do it? He would do it through words. He would do it through a written document. That document, of course, is the Holy Bible. Most of what you read about in the Old Testament doesn't actually concern signs and wonders. There aren't that many miracles in the Old Testament. There are ten times more in the New Testament. And, of course, for today, we live by faith, not by sight. Isaiah 52 Isaiah 52, look at verse 10, if you will. The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Our God, in, in the context, our God being a Jewish God. And here, this is spoken of in the future tense. They will see the salvation of our God. That starts in types and shadows back in the Old Testament. I've said this over the years, and I'll say it again briefly this morning, that had you wanted to be saved or had you wanted to be associated with God back in the Old Testament, you would have had to have become a Jew. You would have had to have been part of the Jewish covenant. It's okay to have been a Gentile pre the Mosaic covenants. Romans chapter 2 says those that lived righteously and those that sought after goodness and godliness and so forth were accepted of the Lord. In other words, he would have received that. He would have received that as worship, and he would have received that faith in the one true God as being sufficient. But for today, salvation is found in the Son, S-O-N, Son of God, not in anyone else's Son or anyone else's way of being saved. The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations. Jesus Christ is God's right-hand man. And all the ends of the earth, that's the entire world without exception, shall see the salvation of our God. Go to Luke chapter 4. So the prophets would preach about a coming Messiah, and they all preached... About a coming Messiah. And of course you know the Jews were saved. By believing on a promise. And we are saved by believing on the one that gave the promise. It's going to be faith alone from beginning to end. Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. This is a wonderful passage. The Lord Jesus Christ is just about to come of age. Luke chapter 4. Look at verse 16 if you will. And he came to Nazareth. Where he had been brought up. And as his custom was. He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And stood up for to read. So Jesus Christ was a Judean Jew, circumcised on the eighth day, we just looked at that. would observe specific dietary restrictions, had a beard, was very Jewish in the Jewish sense of the word, went to the synagogue on a regular basis, never missed a Sabbath, a day in his life, along with Peter and Paul and the rest of the apostles. If there's one thing that trips up people, is when they get to the book of Acts, and they see that the apostles were meeting on the Sabbath, and they like to suggest that we should meet on the Sabbath. But, of course, the apostles were all Jewish, and they would go into the synagogue on a Sabbath to witness to unbelieving Jews. And when he came to Nazareth, his hometown, where well he had been brought up, of course, he was born in Bethlehem, the city of uh, David, but was raised in Nazareth. And as his custom was, he was known to do this, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah. And when he'd opened the book he found the place where it was written he knew where to go he read the bible on a regular basis just 20 minutes ago before we started the service i was speaking to one of the brothers and he was telling me about a missionary he knows who's 51 and oh, he's a pastor i should say and he's got sons who are missionaries and this 51 year old pastor hasn't yet read the bible all the way through 51 being saved all of his life probably huh. sons in the mission field and yet the father hasn't yet read the bible all the way through what is going on Well, we can say that Jesus Christ read the entire Old Testament through multiple times. I'm sure he did. I'm sure David would also have done likewise. Verse 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach acceptable year of the Lord. This Almost mirrors the beatitudes, the, the Sermon on the Mount, and here, eighteen, it says how the spirits of the Lord is upon me, the Holy Ghost is upon me. Jesus Christ is speaking, because He, the Father, hath anointed me, sent me to preach the gospel to the poor. In the context, the children of Israel, He hath sent me to heal the broken-hearted. He will still do that today to preach deliverance to the captives, those that are in bondage to sin. Over in Hebrews, it says they were in fit all their lives of the devil and dying. And recovering of sight to the blind. Not just spiritually but physically. To set at liberty them that are bruised. Under the condemnation of sin. To preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. And he gave it again to the minister. And sat down. And the eyes of all them. That's when the synagogue were fastened on him. What a sight that must have been. It's a packed synagogue. It's a typical Saturday. They know him. He knows them. It's always hard isn't it. When you preach to your own peers own friends and family it's tough isn't it and he walks in he's come of age as they say and he's reading from the book of isaiah in hebrew no doubt and he closes the book and it says how all of them all of their eyes were fastened on him like locked on him verse 21 and he began to say unto them this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears in other words this has now come to pass and you say, where was he reading from? Go to Isaiah 61. The New Testament fits the Old Testament. The Old Testament fits the New Testament. Or so put it this way: the Bible is three parts, if you will. The first part is the Old Testament. That's a pitch, if you will, of a soccer match, a football match, 45 minutes. You have the period in the middle, the silence, a typical football match. They have a 15-minute break. And we're going to say this: that from Malachi to Martin, you have a 15 minute break but historically a 400 year break and then we get into the new testament which is the second half if you will of a football match so we have two halves we have the middle section the silence the period of silence and we are now waiting for the referee being almighty god to blow the whistle like full time isaiah 61 isaiah 61 this book is laid out in a way that no human mind could possibly have attempted to do You may get some prophecies right, you may get some guesses right, but from memory there are 68 prophecies concerning the Lord Jesus Christ written anywhere from 400 years to 4,000 years before he was born. The chances of 68 prophecies coming to pass by chance are 1 out of 10 to the 148th power. You can't get anywhere near that, it's impossible. You may get one or two, perhaps three or four prophecies or guesses right, we all watch the news. We can take a guess about this or, or, or that. We may be able to guess the next American president or the next British prime minister. We might be able to guess what's going to happen in Venezuela or Syria or other parts of the world. But we won't get it right all of the time. We will get certain things wrong. But when the Bible speaks about a coming Messiah, it gets everything right. Isaiah 61, Isaiah 61. Look at verse 1, please. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. The Holy Ghost of God the Father is upon me, Jesus Christ, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. That's very similar to Matthew chapter five, as I say, the Sermon on the Mounts. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that abound, the prison where the spirits go when they die. John chapter five says a day is coming when those that are in the graves will hear the voice of the Son of God. And those that hear it will come forth and live so on and so forth. Verse 2. To proclaim, to proclaim, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Like what, 4 BC, now up to what, 30 AD thereabouts. And the day of vengeance of our God, that second advent. To comfort all that mourn for the here and now. To point unto them that mourn in Zion, Jerusalem. To give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. The garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Trees are beautiful. We can't survive without them. We need them all the time. And of course, trees in the Old Testament are pictures of people. New Testament, a tree brings forth either good fruits or bad fruits. And here, Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Going back to verse one, Holy Ghost, who would anoint the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why he would say, you can blaspheme me. You can blaspheme this person or that person, but if you blaspheme the Holy Ghost, There's no forgiveness because he has anointed me, he has commissioned me, and I'm doing my miracles through the Holy Ghost. Because the Lord, the Father, hath anointed me, commissioned me, going back to his name, his name will be Jesus, he shall save his people from their sins, to preach. And that's what we are doing in Nottingham this week, to preach. We are preaching good tidings, good news unto the meek. You've got to be meek, you've got to be lowly, you've got to be humble. If you're not, this message isn't for you. He hath sent me to bind up the broken hearted. To heal the broken hearted. To proclaim liberty to the captives. Liberty to live for the Lord. To be free from the condemnation of the law. To be free from sin. This was a burden to keep the law. Peter told that from Acts chapter 15. And the opening of the prison to them that are bound. All those that died pre the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ went into the ground. Luke chapter 16. Whether saved or unsaved. And they would wait and wait and wait for the Messiah to die on the cross. And he would go into the ground and he would scoop up those that had died waiting for his arrival and take them up to heaven. Third heaven. For today, if we die in the Lord, we go straight to be with the Lord. To proclaim, to announce the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Now there is a sense that vengeance is also tied in with the atonement. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. There's a sense of the anger of the Lord. The anger, the judgment, the justice of God was poured out upon the Lord Jesus Christ. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's dark. There's a sense of judgment being poured out on the Son of God. And yet at the same time, the Lord is doing something remarkable behind the scenes. To comfort all that mourn. You mourn over your sin. Romans 8 says the entire creation is mourning and will continue to mourn until the Lord releases the curse. To points unto them that mourn in Zion, Jerusalem. Today we are spiritual Israel. We are spiritual Zion. To give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, picture of the, of the Holy Ghost, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, picture of imputation, that they might be called trees of righteousness. Wonderful trees, beautiful trees. And like I say, you can't survive without trees. And if there were no trees, we'd all die. And if the church wasn't here, The entire world would also go into total darkness. The planting of the Lord that he might be glorified. Go to Luke 24. So when the Lord Jesus Christ quoted the scriptures. He quoted them with power and authority. Elsewhere it says never man spake like this man. He would sharpen the law. He would not only fulfill the law. He would sharpen it. He would define the law. He would say on one occasion you guys that are bold. You shouldn't kill. Uh, But I say to you. If you hate your brother with unjust anger, you are guilty of murder, hatred in your heart. And you will arrive at the judgments and give an account of yourself. Luke 24, Luke 24, look at verse 44. And he said unto them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Three parts of the Old Testament and not one mention of the Apocrypha. Then opened he their understanding, that they might understand the Scriptures. That would happen the moment you get born again, if you read the Scriptures, if you pray to the Lord to allow you to have a proper and deeper understanding of the Scriptures. And said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behoved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, Beginning at Jerusalem. That was the entire purpose of the Lord's ministry. He didn't just come for himself. He came to die for the sins of the world. But on top of that, the Old Testament told you this would happen. You were told time after time this would happen. And yet, after many years of waiting and waiting and waiting, most Jews became indifferent, apathetic, spiritually lethargic. And as a result, when he arrived, only Simeon, Luke chapter 2, And Anna, Luke chapter 2, were really ready for him. It would take a while for Nicodemus to come around. It would take a while for Joseph of Arimathea to come around. All the good and the great, like Pilate and Herod and others, never believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, because Paul told you how he didn't come for uh, the good and the great in that sense, but he came for those that were of a low standing in society, those that were looking for more than just the here and the now. Said unto them, verse 44, these are the words that I spake unto you, the words of the Lord. Do you have the words of the Lord? Do you have the word of God? Or just the words of men? While I was yet with you, that all things, that all things without exception must be fulfilled. And yet most of the Old Testament prophecies have yet to come to pass. But one day they will, which were written in the law of Moses, going back to if God wants to communicate to people, he would do so via words. We all communicate via words. We speak. or three languages in this room but we all communicate via words sometimes emotions but mainly words and therefore if we communicate via words god almighty is going to communicate to us and with us via words as well written the law of moses and the prophets and in the psalms concerning me what a statement concerning me the entire bible is about a man the man christ jesus then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and yet time after time they still didn't quite understand everything. Peter would get uh, confused over the plan of salvation and on one occasion there was a meeting, a meeting which took place over in uh, Jerusalem Acts chapter 15 and Peter had to go, James had to go and Paul had to go. The big three as we call them and these three came together to really hammer out what it meant to be saved but more specifically what it meant for the Gentiles to be saved but here the lord is beginning the initiation he's going to breathe on them he will say to them elsewhere go to jerusalem and wait for the holy ghost to come upon you that's the day of pentecost and when he comes upon you you guys are going to come alive said unto them verse 46 thus it is written and thus it behoved christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day that's what this is all about the resurrection from the dead of the dead If there's no resurrection, we are all lost and in our sins. There's no other way to be redeemed to the Lord God. Somebody has to do something for you. And many people don't like that. Many people get a little uptight, a little uneasy about someone doing something for them. One of the biggest problems we have in this country is self-righteousness. I don't need your help. I don't want your charity. I've made it through life myself, they say. I've never needed a handout or a hand up. Well, you need a handout from the Lord, and you need a hand up from the Lord if you want to be saved. Verse 47 again, and I'll close. And that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. So, repentance is built into faith. Faith is built into repentance. They go together. God has given you repentance. Mentioned here, picked up again from Acts chapter 5. Repentance has been given to the Jews. That's God's mercy. Repentance has been given to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 11. Grace has been given to Jew and Gentile. Ephesians chapter 2. The atonement has already been provided for mankind the world over without exception. God is yet to impute sin to anyone or anything. In fact, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Just worth explaining this a little deeper. I love preaching about the gospel of the grace of God. Not many things that I really enjoy anymore, uh, but if I enjoy one thing. It is the gospel of the grace of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. Look at verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, past tense, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, past tense. This is an ongoing ministry which we are enjoying in Nottingham this week. To wit, Old English for Simply Being, that is to say, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world, reconciling the world unto himself, past tense, not imputing their trespasses unto them. He's holding back. Nobody has yet gone into the second death, or nobody yet has experienced a second death. Nobody has yet been sentenced to eternal damnation yet. He's holding back the full wrath of the Lord, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. It's incredible, isn't it? He's given us the ministry, the word of reconciliation, that's repentance. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. It's all been done for you. What you have to do is turn to him in faith. Believe on him and believe in him. Believe on him for what he did for you and believe in him for what he said and did. 21 for he hath made him to be sin for us he being the father hath made him the son to be sin for us going back to what we looked at yesterday from isaiah 53 how he would pour out his soul for sin offering and here christ was made sin for us who knew no sin he was sinless unlike us that we those of us which appropriate the atonement those of us which are reconciled to the Lord those of us which receive this through faith that we might be made the righteousness of God in him if we believe on him if we turn to him in faith if we receive his wonderful atonement he will save us he will clean us make us clean inside and out he will give us a new heart he will give us an ability to do great and marvelous things for him but if we turn him down if we remain in darkness we will perish go to hell and when the Lord initiates the great white throne judgment he will pour out his anger he will pour out his fury on all of those that have died without christ and punish those people and at that moment their sin is then imputed to them at that moment they then pay the consequences of their sins and their sin of course the worst sin they could ever commit will be dying without christ and going to hell forever okay this will be part three looking at the complete prophecies of christ and for this morning let's begin if we may in john chapter 1 And look at verse 43, please. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee, and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me, follow thou me. We follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't follow each other. We don't follow churches. The Apostle Paul would say, Follow me as I follow Christ. Now, Philip was of Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. The Lord Jesus Christ is very much a family man. King David was a family man. My recent research into King David showed to me that he had at least 19 sons. And two daughters, he had seven wives and at least two concubines. But the point is this David was a family man, his sons worked for him, and here the Lord Jesus Christ is going to pick him out a group of brothers. 45. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Of course, you know not one of the Old Testament prophets said that Jesus Christ would be the Messiah, or the Messiah would be Jesus Christ. That is the New Testament revelation. But they told you that the Messiah would come, and when he came, you should be aware of him. 46. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. Deuteronomy 18. Deuteronomy 18. Look at verse 15, if you will. The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of thy brethren, like unto me unto him you shall hearken according to all that thou desirest of the lord thy god in Horeb in the day of the assembly saying let me not hear again the voice of the lord my god neither let me see this great fire any more, that i die not so moses had a limited ministry of course when moses died it was it was over to joshua to replace him if you will when the lord jesus christ died not straight away but after a period of a break of some kind it was down to the apostle paul to continue the ministry of the lord jesus christ it's always fascinating to me when i think of the apostles the lord jesus christ had 11 good men if you will and yet not one of those good men could write half of the new testament not one of those good 11 men would go to the third heaven yes john would see something much later at the end of his life but peter was only given a glance a glimpse of God's majesty found a course in the Lord Jesus Christ but it would fall to the apostle Paul 17 and the Lord said unto me they have well spoken that which they have spoken we call this oral tradition or oral communication God is speaking to Moses the father spoke to the son the son spoke to the apostles the apostles wrote the new testaments and here we are two thousand years later reading the words of the Lord going back to what we discussed yesterday morning look at verse 18 I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren Like unto thee, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. The words of the Lord. Going back to Jeremiah 23, how they steal my words. And here Moses is the anointed one. Moses was a prophet, he was a priest, but he wasn't a king. And here prophet in your King James Bible in verse 15 and 18 is a capital P in reference to the Messiah, of course. And we would also say this, that the Antichrist will be a Jew, almost certainly. He'll come from the Jewish background, the Jewish religion, could be from the tribe of Dan, I don't know. But he'll have words as well, but his words aren't inspired from God, but from the anti-God, being the devil, of course. Put my words in his mouth, inspiration, and he shall speak unto them, children of Israel, all that I shall command him. The Apostle Paul made the case over in the book of Acts that he wasn't neglected, wasn't, wasn't negligent when it came to preaching the whole counsel of God. That's pretty difficult for a preacher to do just that. Many preachers like to skirt around controversial issues. They don't want to get too deep. They don't want to get their hands dirty, as they say, because it causes people to get upset and offended. Look at verse 19. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Strictly speaking for the second advent, uh, but also in reference to the first advent, of course. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life, but the wrath of God abideth upon him. Look at verse 20. But the prophet, lowercase p, which shall presume to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or that shall speak in the name of other gods, even that prophet shall die. Go to John chapter 2. So the Lord Jesus Christ's ministry was foretold back in the Old Testament. Moses, like I say, had a limited ministry. And when he died, Joshua would replace him. And of course, Joshua means Jesus. Yeshua means Joshua. And Joshua is a good picture of Jesus Christ. In fact, the book of Joshua, for memory, the first 10 or 11 chapters, deal with the Lord's second advent. John chapter 2. John uh, chapter 2. Look at verse 13, please. And the Jews' Passover was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers, money and overthrew the tables. And said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house and house of merchandise. It's very fair to say that Jesus Christ was an alpha male. He wasn't a weak man. He wasn't a beta male. Only once it said he would rejoice. Many times he was angry with a righteous anger. And I've heard people that don't like to hear such a statement as that. They say Jesus Christ was never angry. They say that real men don't show any anger. That's not true. Real men do show anger. Real men do show emotion. Sometimes real men will even cry. The Apostle Paul uh, was very emotional. And here the Lord Jesus Christ is second with organized religion, making a quick buck, as our American Brethren say, making money off the backs of working people. We would refer to this as indulgences. This is what really got up Martin Luther's nose. He went to Rome on one occasion. He was searching for the truth. And of course, Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And he found his way to Rome. He was sent to Rome from uh, his uh, monastery, his uh, father superior. And he got to Rome. I mean, talk about naive. Talk about green. And here's a man who's been on his knees all of his life in a monastery, locked up like Certain people today do, who don't want to go into the real world, and he found found himself in Rome, the so-called Eternal City, of course not the Eternal City, Jerusalem is, and he was shocked to see whores all over the place, whoremongers all over the place, good old bishops and cardinals in brothels, and it started to dawn on him what a fool he had been. This must be a real shock for people who have been in a system all their lives, to then realise after maybe 50 or 60 or 70 years, it was all for nothing. In fact, just a few moments ago, we were talking about the New Zealand Prime Minister. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting what Patrick uh, read about her this morning. She comes from Mormon background; She's LDS, Latter-day Saints. And when she was 17, she said it was too restrictive. And now she is a free thinker, quote-unquote. Had a kid out of wedlock, but that's okay. We're not to judge, you understand. But if you judge, if you judge them, they will come after you. It's all uh, double standards, of course. But I guess it's pretty fair to say that at the age of 17, she came of age, this woman, quote-unquote, and thought, I've been wrong for all of my 17 years. She's now a free thinker, whatever that means. Look at verse 17, please. And his disciples remember that it was written, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Go to Psalm 69. So the apostles were religious Jews. They weren't atheists. They weren't secular Jews. I won't say they were devout Jews, but they were decent Jews in that sense. They had an understanding of right from wrong. They would have gone to the temple on a regular basis their local synagogue on a regular basis and when the lord jesus christ came he found himself some decent men nobody's good but god let's not get beyond ourselves we're all sinful even after we are saved we need imputation to keep us saved psalm 69 psalm 69 look at verse nine please for the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up and the approaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me Somebody's speaking here and of course it's the messiah david may have written this Going back to who wrote Romans? (coughs) Paul wrote Romans. Who wrote Romans? The Holy Ghost did. You can't understand that. We call that inspiration. Who wrote Psalm sixty nine? David did. Who wrote Psalm sixty nine? The Holy Ghost did. Who's David speaking about himself? Who's he speaking about? The Messiah. You can't understand it, but you're told to believe it. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Reproaches, the reproaches, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are fallen upon me. It's a picture of substitutionary atonement. Go to John chapter 5, please. Look at verse 39, if you will. Search the scriptures. Now, as far as I know, only the King James has those three words. Search the scriptures. You were told to study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But for memory, I might be wrong, but for memory, these three words are only found in the King James Bible. Search the scriptures. What scriptures? The Old Testaments. For in them... You think you have eternal life. In other words, we have the scriptures, they would say. We have the Tanakh. We believe the Tanakh. We're going to trust this to save us. Of course, that won't save anybody. You've got to put your faith into the one who commissioned this book and the one who this book speaks about. And they are they which testify of me. Going back to Deuteronomy 18. Going back to what we looked at yesterday. The Psalms, the Prophets, and the Writings. The Writings, the Prophets, and the Psalms. Three parts of the Old Testament. Search the scriptures. For now, we would say both Testaments on a regular basis, to renew our minds each and every day, for in them you think you have eternal life, we don't believe that, we're not trusting in what this book says, we're trusting the one who this book is about, of course it goes together, Christ is the living word of God, this is the written word of God, and yes you can get saved by believing this book, of course you can, you get saved by believing in the one that this book is about, but it has to be a faith based on substance, on the saviour, and they are they which testify of me, the words of God, 46, For had you believed Moses, you would have believed me. Why is that? For he wrote of me, Deuteronomy chapter 18. And Muslims say that the prophet found over in Deuteronomy 18 is Muhammad. It's a joke. And they say when it speaks about the comforter coming in my name, it's Muhammad. And you see Muslims at Speaker's Corner and and, uh, online putting that case to ignorant people and it just throws people. It's a joke. Uh, 47. But if you believe not his writings, that's the problem. How she you believe my words? So in other words, Moses had trouble with unbelieving Jews, unbelieving Israel, back in the Old Testament. Let's go to chapter 6, please. The Messiah had problems with people in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul had problems with people during his ministry, and we have problems with people in our ministry, trying to get them to believe the gospel. John chapter 6, John chapter 6, look at verse uh, 14, please. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said... This is of a truth, that prophet, that should come into the world. Go to Genesis 49. There are at least 68 prophecies about the Messiah. Probably more, but they are the most clearest, the most vivid of all. And from Genesis 49, Genesis forty-nine, we read verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. So you got scepter, you got Judah, you got Shiloh. Shiloh being Messiah, being the peaceful one. Christ is called the Prince of Peace. Scepter is like a rod or a staff of some kind. Jesus Christ is the Good Shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I am the Good Shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. The scepter shall not depart from Judah. He comes from the tribe of Judah. Nor lawgiver from between his feet. He gave the law back in the Old Testament. But grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Until Shiloh, Messiah come, and unto him... To the gathering of the people be. Go to. I'll go back to John chapter 6 if you will. John chapter 6. So you were told time after time that the Messiah would come. You were told he'd come from the tribe of Judah. You were told he'd be like unto Moses. Moses was a prophet and a priest. Jesus Christ was a priest, a prophet and a king. Moses was the king of the Jews in a sense. Jesus Christ was the king of the Jews. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. Uh, look at verse 44 please. No man can come unto me except the father which hath sent me draw him and i will raise him up at the last day the calvinists love that verse they quote it day after day if there's only one verse they know it's this verse and of course they leave it just as it is they don't give the cross reference to that just for the record you were told that he would draw all men unto him when he was resurrected but look at verse 45 that's what we're looking at this morning it is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught of god every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the father cometh unto me go to isaiah 54 so it is true that before you are saved if you were saved or if you're going to be saved one day you are dead in your sins and you have to be made alive and that only happens when a man turns to the lord in faith and believes on him i don't believe in pre-belief or pre-repentance generation calvinists say you have to be you have to be regenerated in order to repent so i don't believe that you hear the gospel faith cometh by hearing and hear by the Word of God, and once you've heard the gospel, and if you believe it, you are saved and more importantly, kept saved. Isaiah 54, look at verse 13, "And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children." These are wonderful verses, all pointing back and forth to the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ, His holiness, His sovereignty, and we discussed this a few days ago. Go to John chapter 7, please, about what's more important, the sovereignty or the mercy of the Lord. And we agreed it was both. But sometimes our Calvinist brethren focus too much on the sovereignty of the Lord and not the mercy of the Lord. We want his mercy, we want his grace. John chapter 7, John chapter 7, a look at verse 28, please. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am. And I am not come myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. And that was a real problem, wasn't it, for the Lord? I've been preaching day and night, you've seen the miracles, and yet it's made no difference. Go to Exodus 23. It's been said that the Jews in the Old Testament would reject the Father, the Jews in the New Testament would reject the Son, and the Jews in the book of Acts would reject the Holy Ghost. There's a lot of truth in that. Exodus 23. Exodus 23. Uh, look at verse 21. Beware of him and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions. For my name is in him. In reference to the Messiah, of course. And that's what we are up against. That's the reality of all of this. The message of the Lord Jesus Christ, the words of the Lord Jesus Christ will come directly from Almighty God via the Holy Ghost, of course. John chapter 7, look at verse 40. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said of a truth... This is the prophet, capital P. Others said, this is the Christ, the Messiah, Shiloh. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Well, obviously not, but they thought he would do. He was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth. Hath not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem, where David was? Absolutely, Micah 5.2, go to 2 Samuel chapter 7. Herod was told this when the wise men, the Magi, arrived in Jerusalem. He had the best brains on hand, and they said to him, Yes, it's true, Your Your Honour, Your Majesty, uh, that the Messiah is going to come, and uh, those that believe in him are going to be saved, so on and so forth. And yet, none of the priests went down to see the newborn king. Herod, of course, didn't go down. He was the king of the Jews, wasn't he? They hated him for it. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7 look at verse 12 please and when thy days be fulfilled and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers I will set up thy seed after thee which shall proceed out of thy bowels and I will establish his kingdom David Solomon Christ David is a picture of God the Father Solomon is a picture of God the Son David is God the Father if you will Solomon is God the Son Solomon builds a temple to the Lord. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. David gets all of the blessings, if you will, because he's got the father in type. Solomon has got the son in type. From Solomon comes a temple. We are the temple of God, obviously. And also from Solomon's nature, you get a picture of how it's going to be for the church age. The two natures. I will chastise him. If he doesn't walk in my laws, I will do this, I will do that. But I won't. I won't take my mercy from him as I take it from Saul. Saul and Solomon lost their kingdoms due to sin, but they didn't lose their souls. John chapter 8, and we'll close. John chapter 8, like I say, this will be part 3 of volume 2, and we won't have time. I no time to finish it today, but we will next time, Lord willing. Look at verse 12, if you will. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall the light of life Light of the world, let there be light, let there be life, and there was, let there be light. Brought the world into being one more time. Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. I am that I am, that you believe I am he, you would die in your sins, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me, follow thou me, as I follow Christ. He that followeth me, we don't follow a church, we follow Christ. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness in a perpetual sense, but shall have right now the light of life, go to Isaiah chapter 9, many parts to the Lord Jesus Christ, son of man for Israel, son of God for the church, Emmanuel uh, for Israel, for the new earth of course, he's called the branch, Uh, he's called El Gabor, he's called everlasting father, these are titles and terms given to him which will come into play during the millennial reign, the Jews get the new earth, the church gets new Jerusalem, never once has Paul called Jesus Christ, the son of man, always the son of God. John in Revelation says son of man, son of God, lamb of God. There's three parts of the Lord's ministry which was given to the apostle John. John goes to the third heaven via a vision. Paul was taken up physically. No man has been up to heaven, but he that came down from heaven, even the son of man which is in heaven. Christ goes up to heaven on his own power and comes back down to earth on his own power. Enoch was taken via the Lord and so too was Elijah. Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah chapter 9. Look at verse 2, please. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death upon them, hath the light shined. Jesus Christ is a light. Not S-U-N, like Son of Righteousness, but S-O-N, like the Son of God. During the thousand-year reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, we know that the sun is going to be seven times as bright as it currently is. People are going to live a lot longer. In some ways, it's a throwback to... The days of those in the book of Genesis. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. Before you were saved, you were a child of Satan. You were lost in darkness. And then one day somebody flicked the switch. The light came on. The penny dropped, as they say, and you came alive. It would have been wonderful if the New Zealand Prime Minister had left Mormonism and become a born-again Christian. It almost never happens. It almost never happens. Australia had a guy called Rudd, who apparently is a Christian, But he's affiliated with Hillsong, a dubious Australian denomination, and he also speaks Cantonese. Not that that means anything at all, but most politicians that come to my mind are unsaved people with religious backgrounds and it's scarred them. Mm. But for those of us which are saved, five of us sitting around this morning in the beautiful city of Nottingham, by the grace of God, when we heard the gospel we received it maybe not straight away it took me three years to get it but when i got it i never lost it and i was made alive paul says you are translated from the kingdom of satan into the kingdom of almighty god the kingdom of his dear son you were translated you were transferred a major transaction has taken place go to malachi chapter 4 and i will close malachi uh, chapter 4 so you are either for the lord or against him you're either a child of god or a child of the devil there's no Middle ground, there's no sitting on the fence. Uh, once you are saved, we get into standing in state, which is a huge subject and it's not always easy to define. Many times we might look at somebody and say, he's not saved or she's not saved because they do this or they do that. you got to be careful with that. <clears throat> you got to be careful with that. Sometimes that may be the case, but not always the case. If you were living back in the days of David or Solomon, especially David, I mean, what, 19 sons? At least two daughters, seven wives? At least two or three concubines. Let's say he had ten women. The average Jew living back in the days of David would say, he's no son of Israel. Look at his behaviour. He's lying, he's stealing, he's got women left, right and centre. He's living like the Gentiles. But he was one of God's people. He's in heaven today. And every time we discuss this, it makes certain people uncomfortable. Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. Uh, look at verse 2. But aren't you that fear my name, shall the son of righteousness Arise with the healing in his wings. Partly pictured the first advent. By his stripes we are healed. But we don't get all of our healing here and now. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stool. Also in reference to the Jews. And again this is a Jewish book. Most of what you find in the Old Testament. Has at least two applications. Prophetical and obviously doctrinal. Historical but also spiritual. There's at least four or five applications to the word of God. And here from Isaiah 9. One more time, Isaiah 9-2, the people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. They saw Jesus Christ, a light of the world. It says how he lights every man that comes into the world. They that dwell in the land of the shadow of death, upon them hath the light shine. And yet what would they say? We shine this man to reign over us. We only have one king, that is Caesar. But Malachi chapter 4 says in verse 2 one more time, but unto you that fear my name, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings? This is obviously a Hebrew idiom, but it also has reference to, like I say, his first coming, when people are healed left, right, and sent, and yet by the end of Acts, nobody is being healed of anything. And of course the healings will reappear in the tribulation, when 144,000 are commissioned and sent, and it's probably fair to say that the two witnesses are going to be doing signs and wonders as well. It says how it won't rain, there'll be blood poured out, picturing Moses, picturing Elijah, quite possibly... Semicolon, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. So, these verses read this morning are basically prophecies dealing with at least two parts to the Lord's coming the first coming and the second coming. And by the grace of God, we've been able to continue to profile and look at these verses dealing with the arrival of the Messiah. There's no other book in the world that I can think of that comes anywhere near. Telling about a man, where he'd be born, how, he'd be, how he would be born, how he would die, where he would die, what would result upon his death. We know that when Muhammad died, his his uh, followers stood around the graveside for three days, hoping desperately that Allah would resurrect him. They thought, well, Jesus Christ was resurrected. Surely Allah, the good old moon god that Abraham's family worshipped before Jehovah called him out of darkness, they said, surely Allah is sovereign, they said, the God, that's what they call him. Surely Allah will resurrect good old Mo, and after three days he stayed in the tomb, after four days in the tomb, five days in the tomb, six days, 600 years, 6,000 years, 6 million years, 6 billion years, he's still in the ground, he's dead and buried. And I don't say that to mock Islam or Muslims, but I state, I state it as a fact. I stated it as a historical fact that he died and stayed died, whereas Jesus Christ died and after three days would resurrect himself, John chapter 2, The Father would resurrect him, Galatians chapter 1. And the Holy Ghost would resurrect him, Romans chapter 8. And of course is the Blessed Trinity, Amen and Amen.